Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So uh, patreon.com slash goblinscrowlers, uh, and we'll see you all soon. And welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Twitter, Discord, and anywhere else I can think of to have profiles. Oh, I'm Brandon Dingus uh, at Wave Randalore, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, Discord. Yeah, well, I mean, technically, yeah, but I haven't used it in forever. <laughs> I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day who has switched fully over to Mastodon and it just resulted in me just being like, I don't understand. (laughs) The world's passed me by. (laughs) And it'll happen to you too. Yeah, he's older than me though. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah, by like nine months. Well, that's not so bad then. Yeah. Um, So it's another late night recording here. And by late night, I mean, it just ticked over to nine o'clock and I'm drinking a cup of coffee. Uh, to try to stay rolling. <laughs> cup of coffee at nine is a bold strategy. Well, I started this cup of coffee an hour and a half ago when we started this call. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I started this uh, Mountain Dew Major Melon at about the same time. So I've, I've wanted to try Major Melon for a while because um, generally I'm a Mountain Dew purist and I don't like these like pretender flavors that have come out over the last 20 years. Um when I was in college, the uh, Mountain Dew machine right across from the school newspaper had code red. And that was back when you Mountain Dew came in two flavors, green or red. Uh, and then I sort of got out of the Mountain Dew game for a while. And then I came back and we've got just this panoply of colors and flavors and everything, including some that you can just get at Taco Bell. And it all seems like uh, heresy to me. <laughs> It's it is a wild and wonderful future we live in. I will say major melon is basically if you took a watermelon dum dum and melted it in Mountain Dew. That actually That's the flavor. Really good. I like it a lot. All right. Um uh what stuff do we have to catch up on here right at the top? Uh well, I do I do feel like I should probably mention that uh if I sound a little different, if I sound like a changed man, it's probably because I got married Sunday last week. Wait, the 16th. Yeah, it was Sunday before last. I'm a married man now. <laughs> <laughs> I would tell you congratulations, but I was there and got to tell you in person. You you got to make the whole thing happen. Yes. I, I, you know, I really appreciate that. Yes, as the, the Commonwealth of Virginia was foolish enough to license me to perform weddings uh which <laughs> apparently is a superpower that i get in perpetuity as long as i reside uh within virginia so if anybody out there is in the richmond area <laughs> and needs an officiant here we go his, his rates are very reasonable very reasonable rates yes it was very reasonable because you didn't pay me anything <laughs> you gave believe- me dinner and drinks <laughs> <laughs> i believe your exact words were this is going to be my wedding gift to you and everyone will be happy about that. Yes. Yeah. Well, as long as you turned in the, um, like the marriage certificate and everything, then the County can't come after me for five, a $500 deposit. That's, that's been done quite some time ago. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. What's, what's, what's new in the world of Brandon? Uh, Nothing. I think, I think you were telling me that yesterday, yesterday, day before you were finishing up, a little bit of classwork. Oh yeah, I'm uh, getting my MBA, and I am finishing up the the second class because it's like an accelerated program. So it's uh, like one class every seven weeks, uh, and it's absolutely brutal. And I have uh, a case study that I have to write tomorrow. The last day of the class is Saturday, and we actually don't have a final in this class, so I have to write a case study on uh, like. Uh, information system strategy in uh, retail environments. 
But it's it's still like your last coursework for the semester. I think that's worthy of celebration. Well, you say that, but the next class starts in two weeks. So I get a very brief reprieve and then summer session one starts. And the thing about summer sessions is uh, you don't get the two weeks between classes. So summer <laughs> session one will flow directly into summer session two. And Ugh. that means 14 straight weeks of class with no break. Ugh. Yeah, it's uh, it's a real bummer. <laughs> I, I, I salute you and your dedication to your continued education. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's all good stuff. It's um, all good stuff. Yeah, it's just it's a lot. Uh, uh, speaking of it's all good stuff. Uh, we've reintroduced our big cartel store for those of you who've been following us for a while. And I gotta that say that was to a things online. That was a silken transition <laughs> into what is essentially a self-serving ad read. That was like <laughs> Lando Calrissian levels of charm. Like, I, do you want me to do you want me to drink a Colt forty five too, Billy D? <laughs> Listen, I saw my my my. Truly, you belong here with us at the big cartel store. <laughs> Oh my word! Um, but yeah, we got too much stuff, so we're uh, we're selling it at the Big Cartel store. It's goblinsandgrowlers.bigcartel.com. We'll put a link in the show notes and stuff. But uh, we got a bunch of stuff, and we're trying to have less stuff so we can order more stuff because uh, we have a limited amount of room in our storage unit. So we've had a lot of t-shirt designs over the years, and we've got a lot of stock from them from when we would uh, like uh, do a big order to go to conventions and things like that, and. Uh, we've got pretty much everything in the store at 10% off. And if you use the code GRAVYBOAT, uh, all one word, uh, all caps, uh, you get free shipping on stuff. Hell yeah. Yeah. And on top of shirts, uh, there's some really cool indie games from our friend uh, Cesar Capacle. Longtime listeners of the podcast will know that we've talked to him and about him uh, a lot. And we're actually... Now the publishers and distributors of uh, a lot of his work uh, in North America, so slowly introducing that stuff. Uh, so jump on there and grab grab a uh, like uh, the push core rules or scraps, which is a really cool like solar punk crafting RPG, and then Onuronaut, which is uh, a game you play while you sleep. It's about lucid dreaming. Cesar likes to really push the limits of what a game can be. But uh, we'll be introducing more of his stuff as time goes on. But these are the first three that we rolled out. And if you're curious what those games are more like, uh, go back through our archives because we've talked at length about Push and Aniranaut. And I think we've even touched on scraps at one point. Yes. Yes, we did. And then also like some of the shirt designs we have up there. And I promise you, this is not uh, some marketing tactic. Some of those designs will be going away. Uh, we don't know which ones yet, uh, but we're just going to retire some because we've we're got a lot and we want to introduce some new ones. We're, we're looking at sales numbers right now to figure out which ones y'all don't like as much. Yes. Uh, I think in uh, the newsletter, I said something like, so if you go look at them now uh, and you like one, better put a ring on it because <laughs> it might not be there later. Speaking of, uh, you know, uh, subscribe to our newsletter. It's monthly. It's TTRPG News. It gives you the highlights from our podcast. Uh, Spotlight's a cool indie game that you should play. Um, and is just generally informative and inoffensive. Uh, so we'll put uh, sign-up information in the, uh, in the show notes as well. If you don't have time once a month to read one newsletter, why don't you have that time? Make that time. Give yourself yeah. a little newsletter reading time back. Have some oh, tea with it. And we also try to uh, uh, put in there like where we're going to be. Like We're going to be at this con, or we've got this game on this night at this location, or we'll be showing up uh, doing a performance at this place, that kind of thing. So it's uh it's nice. Yeah. And we won't spam you. That's why it's just once a month. Because believe me, I don't want to have to send out a newsletter any more frequently than you want to receive one. So <laughs> the chances of this particular newsletter going beyond monthly are very slim. Yeah. All right. We have a very full docket today. So. Yeah. I, I, I want the title of this episode. And if, and listener, if it is not, if this is not the title of the episode, it's because I thought better of it tomorrow morning. But I really feel like this should be called Mongrel News Bites or something like that. <laughs> because we've just assembled a, a melange of uh, 
things to talk about, various news items from the last few days since we're recording this a couple of days before it releases. So we're taking advantage of the fact that we have a really quick turnaround. Well, there's also there's a lot going on right now. Mm-hmm. So let's let's get into it uh, mm-hmm. real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I put so you're, I can tell you're looking at the show notes and you're like, what is this? Because we didn't talk about it. <laughs> well, I assumed that you were going to lead us in because yeah. I was like, this this is unfamiliar to the notes and websites you gave me to look at. Yeah, no, it's just um, I just want to throw something out there that's really cool um, that I discovered the other day. And other people may know about this because it's been out for a couple of years. But there's a writer and illustrator named Andrew Kolb. And uh, he's put out two books, one called Neverland and one called Oz. And they're basically setting books for those uh, public domain-esque locations. Uh, One for Neverland, one for Oz. I ordered both of them. Neverland actually arrived today. So when I got back from running some errands this afternoon, the box was waiting for me at the house. And I grabbed it. And it's this just fantastic uh, little like 170-page hardbound book feels just like uh, like an old J.M. Barry Peter Pan book. Uh, but, you know, it's set in Neverland. It's got the pirates and the Lost Boys and all the other inhabitants of Neverland and its surrounding areas that maybe weren't touched on in Disney adaptations or anything like that. It goes back to the roots of it. Uh, I've really just had a little bit of time to flip through it, but it's fascinating and it's well worth the $25 price tag. On it, which, by the way, Josh, I use the company credit card for that. I mean, that's that's fine. That's that's research materials. What that is, yeah. And Oz should be coming tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing the cover for Oz online, and it is also very similarly gorgeous. Yeah, we'll put uh, some links to Andrew Kolb's website in there, and we'll probably do a deeper dive on these two books after we've had a chance to really digest them and maybe get. Andrew on here if he's willing to talk about it. But it's it's very interesting. And I the, the cool thing about it is he is the writer and illustrator for both of the books. So it's it's really just sort of like a Herculean effort going through doing these things. But I thought it was really cool. I just wanted to throw it out there. Just the idea of uh, taking those settings and adapting them into an RPG situation really appealed to me. Um, and that also got me thinking, if you were like president of the world, uh, what what setting, specific general, you know, fictional, non-fictional, whatever, would you want to adapt into an RPG? Oh, man. We don't even have to worry about rules, really. You just um, think of it like a setting book. I wish I had thought about this more before we got on the call, because I feel like I could come up with something that's a little bit out there, but still very, like, fantastic. Spontaneity. I would want it to be something that's not already super RPG like, like my Uh initial thought is like, Oh, it'd be really cool to have like a Skyrim setting book or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I was like, you're already two thirds of the way there. I think Prima guides actually puts that out already. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I want something that's a little different from that, but I, you know what? I actually, I do know. I don't, I know precisely what the answer is. I would want uh, the Metroid universe as an RPG. Because it's got a little bit of that like space fantasy element I really like. Mm-hmm. But it's also got, I don't know, it's so little of that universe gets explored because the games are all about like, hey, what if we went and revisited the concept of Mother Brain again? And it's like, no, stop it. Stop mm-hmm. it. Go away. And they're like, well, the title of the game is Metroid. So we have to involve Metroids in some way. And I was like, don't, don't pigeonhole yourselves. There's an entire galaxy out there. Mm-hmm. But the parts of the universe that we see and explore are so fascinating. And I, as you may be well aware, really like space fantasy games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Metroid is not sci-fi. It is decidedly space fantasy. So your game would feature a lot of like Ridley and Kraid. No, see, we're going back to the we need to fight Mother Brain thing again. Like, <laughs> I want... I want to have a situation where like the party can be bounty hunters or something like that, exploring the galaxy and getting into lots of crazy shenanigans all over the place. And maybe, you know, maybe Samus Aran shows up every now and then and causes uh, problems or helps the players, depending on what situation they find themselves in. Maybe the 
players could be the animals that you save at the end of Super Metroid. Oh hell yeah. Do you want to be do you want to be an ostrich who's really good at running fast and jumping or do you want to be a space koala that's super great at wall jumps? <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, I think mine and this is something I've talked about before but uh it's it's always been a dream of mine to make the time to create the Andy Griffith show RPG setting. Oh uh, yeah. Cuz I have tried and tried and tried to find a pre-existing one. And I can't find, like, there's nothing that's directly that. And there's actually nothing that's really sort of adjacent enough to it that it works for me. Um, I want to create, like, I want to make sort of a setting book for this. Cause you know, like, you know, it, it, the show was in from 1960 to 1968, but the feeling of the show was actually the 1930s. So you have to go back and that was actually intentional, uh, from the creators. So you have to go back and try to evoke that. I've got like eight or 10 pages of notes for like some sort of adventure that I want to run in, in this kind of thing. Uh, I would really love to do that. I, I worked on uh, trying to do it in like Powered by the Apocalypse for a little bit and create archetypes for things. I worked on like doing it in Troika and making it some sort of weird sci-fi space fantasy kind of thing. Uh, but I would love to spend time and create that. The closest I've ever come to finding something like this is about five years ago, Hyper RPG did a Thanksgiving fundraiser where they did an Andy Griffith show adventure. It was like two and a half hours long and it was bonkers and it was absolutely nothing like what I want to do <laughs> with an Andy Griffith <laughs> show RPG. Um, I think we should challenge ourselves to come back in a couple months and sketch out sort of the bare bones of what something like this would look like for each of us. Yeah, I could see that. I Literally, as I was saying all of the things I was saying, I was like, if I just reskin Star Wars Fantasy Flight games, like, I'm, I'm almost there. Yeah, so, you, so you've got the mechanics stuff. already. I'd need to change some stuff, because, you know... Uh, the force is not a particularly potent <laughs> energy in the Metroid universe. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should do that. We should challenge ourselves to come up with like, uh, we should start with a one sheeter, just like eight and a half by 11 front and back on the, the setting and basic rules and system for, for something like this. And All listeners, right. Tell us what kind of setting you wish you had and you wish you could work on. And don't make it something that already exists. It needs to be something unique where you're like, this is my specific need and nobody is filling that niche. So I might have to do it. Um, you can uh, email that to us, contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com or tweet it at either of us or at goblinsgrowlers. Um, but we'll come back to this uh, in a couple months and go over it and... Uh, you know, we obviously we won't be able to call it the Andy Griffith show or Metroid RPG, but we'll come up with something, something well, similar to, but legally distinct from. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have an easier time of this because you just call yours Mayberry. Well, that's a copyrighted term. too. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, yes. No. Yeah. Uh, it's not thought, a real town. I thought, that, I thought that might be an actual town somewhere in the U.S. that they just did fictional things with. No, Mayberry was based on Mount Airy, North Carolina. Mm. Um, I actually went there for a long weekend one time because I'm a big fan of the Andy Griffith show and I got to see Andy Griffith's uh, childhood home and it was really cool. I really, really enjoyed it. They go all in there. <laughs> all right. So copy, copyright free. We'll, we'll figure something out. We'll yeah, something yeah, exactly. Out. But it's a good challenge for us to, to put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now we can get to like real news and stuff. Yeah. So starting out, uh, some of y'all may have heard this. I had not until Brandon and I started diving into news articles. Uh, Pathfinder 2E is getting a remaster. Yeah. And on the notes, I say, what is this? Skyrim? <laughs> I mean, I, I know what they uh, like, what they mean to say is re-release, but remaster is a much sexier term that, uh, you know, the kids today with their acid wash jeans and their rock music. Uh, they they relate to that term a lot better. What with the video games and the Glavin. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I think remaster is a fair descriptor here because they're not just re-releasing the book with like a new cover or something like that. 
They're also condensing some of their rulebook stuff. They're bringing in um, a lot of things that were in additional books as like errata. They're bringing it all into that one core book so that uh, one of the examples I saw was that uh, you no longer need to buy two books to play the fighter of your dreams. Yeah, now that's a good change. Uh, and that's the problem you get into. And I think fourth edition uh, and three and 3.5 for D&D got into this too, where you'd have like player's handbook one and play, you'd have player's handbook and then player's handbook two would come out later. Ad- advanced player's handbook. It's like, get out of here. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so these new books will be replacing the Pathfinder core rulebook, the Game Master Guide, the Bestiary, and the Advanced Player's Guide. And it's basically just like once they sell out of all those, they're not going to reorder them and then they'll just be shifting over to this to this thing um i'm of two minds of it because uh, i i want to say self-consistent because i think i criticized wizards for doing the same thing when um they did a remix of uh i forget which book it was but we did an episode on it but they released it and one of the you know like benefits of it was that it took a lot of disparate stuff like from UA and various things that were related to particular classes and put them together in one book. So if you hadn't already bought the previous books, it made sense for you to buy this one. But if you already own those, then you were throwing them an extra like 30 to $50. Uh, and I think my chief complaint at the time was they didn't really make it clear is that that's what they were doing. Because as somebody who's relatively dialed into these things, I didn't realize that before I bought it. Yeah, it's... Uh, I'm trying to recall exactly what it was. I know it ripped a lot of the stuff out of, like, Volo's Guide to Monsters. Yeah. One of the books that it was rehashing, basically. Yeah. Uh, and the whole idea was that it was condensing a lot of stuff that was, o- like, setting specific things that were over the course of, like, five different books. Mm-hmm. And giving you all the monster blocks, all the setting guide stuff, all of those sorts of things, all in one place. I'm trying to yeah. recall what the name of it is, and it's escaping me right now. Yeah. And I guess, like, probably the 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 larger piece of the puzzle on why they're doing this is this will eliminate the last of the OGL content that they were using. Because, um, obviously, Pathfinder was built on the foundation of the open gaming license, which... Uh, we will refer to now as the late unpleasantness of earlier this year. <laughs> uh, and they're uh, replacing it entirely with their new orc license. And it's this is me being a cynic, but uh, I think it's really funny how they are just barreling forward with the orc license and all these and like and I guess Paizo's doing black flag still as well. But it's like it's like if if y'all had been this on the ball about this like in January, this would have meant something. But now that 5e is in Creative Commons, everybody's just going to keep using 5e. Like that's well, that's just what they're going to do. That's that's going to be the that's going to continue to be the backbone of third party publishing. That that may have been what you've heard, uh, but a few people that I've talked to have been like, yeah, uh Watsi has really shown their hand with this. So we're we're out. We're out. Period. Mm-hmm. End of story. We're not doing anything more with Watsi going forward. And it's like, well, I don't know. It's that's tough the thing, for though. me that's... to say the same for Goblins and Growlers, but... But that's the thing, though. Like, with with the 5 ESRD being in Creative Commons, like, you don't have to touch Watsi with a 50-foot pole to do anything with that anymore. Like, there's literally nothing they can do. They They put it in Creative Commons. You can't take it out. Like, it's just there. It's free and public now. So, if there's all this other like third-party content that's built on the back of 5e you can still do that it's more accessible frankly than pathfinder for and i don't mean that from like a technical or mechanical standpoint i just mean from from a top of mind awareness kind of standpoint it's more accessible if you say oh this thing we made is based on the fifth edition of dungeons and dragons people understand that if this person says well this is based on pathfinder which was based on 3.5 originally, but now it's in its second edition, but they've stripped the OGL stuff from the old D&D open gaming license, and now they're replacing it with this orc license. Let me tell you all about this orc license. And at this point, <laughs> the person is tuned out. Um, so, like, I get why they're doing it, but also, like, it, it doesn't seem to me like a very efficient use of corporate resource 
for that because re-releasing these books is going to appeal to hardcore Pathfinder fans who are going to buy them anyway. I would make a counter argument that doing this sort of re-release and having it all be orc licensed stuff, you're capturing some of the people who were like, I don't know if I want to get into Pathfinder. It seems like it's kind of a lot. My understanding is you have to have two books to be able to do like some of the stuff for player characters. And that's, I'm not going to buy two books so I can play a new game. Um, I think that's part of it. I think another part of it is when you release a new version of a book, people are more likely to either trade in or pass down their current version of a book so that they can have the new and shiny. And I think both of those are things that are going to drive market value up for them. I think this would have made a lot more sense from a business perspective. Well, let me start over. Yes, this makes sense from a business perspective because you're always putting yourself at a disadvantage if you base your content on somebody else's IP. Now, the caveat there is while 5th edition SRD is uh, originated as Wizards IP, it's in Creative Commons now. So nobody can take that away from you. Uh, But it feels like to me it would have made more business sense if there was more distance between this and when they did the second edition. This feels like a change they should... Th- this putting the books together like this feels like a change they should have made for second edition. I think that's I think that's fair and reasonable. I also think that, and this is probably the biggest part of this, is timing being everything. Mm-hmm. If they had had their orc license, if they had had these remakes kind of as stewing in the background, and then Watsy does Watsy things earlier this year and they immediately go, Hey, guess what? We've actually been working on something and here it is within Mm -hmm. like 30, 60 days. I think that's a game changer altogether. But as it stands, I think you're right. They, they missed their window for lightning in a bottle. I still think it's probably a good move, but not as good a move as it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's objectively a good move. Yeah. But it's not, there's no, there's no place where this is a bad move for them from a business perspective. It's just very poorly timed because they drug their feet too long. Um, they, sh- they should have had, they should have had this thing percolating years ago and they could have gone ahead and released it. And then January would have been the time to just convert everything. Yeah, I'm honestly a little surprised that they didn't excise the last bits of 5e or 3.5e rather out of Pathfinder in second edition. I'm a little surprised that they were like, well, we're going to keep a few things, mm-hmm. but that's it is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, I guess in fairness, I have not heard any more from the rumors that Wizards was exploring releasing previous edition SRDs into Creative Commons. That could have completely passed me by if it happened. But I remember there was talk shortly after 5e went to Creative Commons where they were saying that they were doing reviews of earlier editions for potential inclusion because they wanted to do an in-depth review because they wanted to avoid stupid stuff like what happened when they knee-jerk put 5e in Creative Commons (laughs) <laughs> which where they like included the name Strad von Zarevich and they included the name Beholder, which means like you could use those for whatever now. You can't you can't make a Beholder um, like a giant ball with multiple eye stalks because that's still um, their their intellectual property. But you can do something and call it a Beholder, and ain't nothing they can do to you. It's a it's a Pooh Bear red shirt situation. Mm-hmm. You can do stuff with Pooh Bear. You can't have a red shirt, but you can do stuff with Pooh Bear. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> God, we talked about that for I, a lot longer than I thought we were going to. <laughs> well, that's fair. I mean, I think I think it's important to kind of get get how we're feeling out there because that's what people come to us for. Yeah. I need to learn to be more open with my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, give in to your feelings. <laughs> um I I think as we're talking about Watsi potentially releasing earlier versions, if that's still a conversation that they're having, they're not doing a lot to promote that conversation, which to me suggests that it's, it's 
very possible that it's not ever going to happen. And they said it at the time as a way to increase buzz and we'll never hear about it again. Yeah. I mean, very few people regard, like, I guess if you just tick through them, like, you know, fourth edition has its fans, but it also has very vocal detractors. Um, you know, oh, I want to play fourth edition. Well, maybe you should just get uh, a computer game or, or something like that instead. Get some sort of turn-based combat game, and that should <laughs> fill that hole for you. Um, I totally skipped three and three and a half. Um, but, you know, comparatively, like second edition is just so cumbersome and obnoxious. I can't imagine anybody. Well, that's not fair because I actually literally know people who still play in second edition. I can't imagine myself wanting to play in second edition again because it was cumbersome. Um, and then for stuff like first edition, you've already got uh, tons of old school Renaissance style stuff that apes that that flavor and feel and mechanic. So, yeah, you know, it's I guess I guess it's like. 90s nostalgia in the early 2000s like some people had some people had it but by and large the rest of the world was like nah like and i think that's maybe how people feel about you know second edition and fourth edition and why we're never going to see anybody clamoring for that to be in creative commons (laughs) (laughs) i mean third and a half was my first so i have a little bit of like uh nostalgia for that time period mm-hmm. but i've gone back and looked at three and a half rules and i'm like ah, eh, 5e does it better so i don't know maybe i would run a game in three and a half but i don't i don't think i would i yeah. certainly wouldn't create new content for three and a half i can't sh- imagine why i would yeah the chief complaint uh the, well really the only complaint i've ever heard from folks uh well i've heard two i guess and one is it's uh it's too simple it's too simplistic and you can fill in in your head the type of person who is telling me this and then (laughs) other people saying it's not versatile enough um uh both of which are true if you look at them from certain perspectives no 5e is like 5e is not complex but that's a strength uh when you're trying to open the door to get more people into doing it and it's not versatile mainly that comes from people who play pathfinder um that's that's been my experience at least because these people want less i i think generally you hear that from folks who want less of an archetypal character creation system which is what 5e and pretty much all of dnd has uh and more of a like shadow run-esque like point by system uh and there's nothing wrong with that but don't yeah you can't complain that this system, which is built on archetypal character creation, doesn't have more versatile character creation. Because, like, I don't buy a motorcycle and then complain that it only has two wheels when I really wish it had four. I would have bought a car instead. I don't play Gauntlet and go, gosh, I wish there was more than four character types to play. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) We got way off track there. Uh, But anyways, Pathfinder 2 Remaster. Buy your books again. I mean, kind of, sort of, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to breeze through this real quick, just as a, as a, almost a bullet point worth of bullet points. One D and D they've released their new D and D play test materials. Uh, they're, they're also talking about not calling it one D and D, but no one's started calling it anything else yet. So yeah, that was a real weird bit the time of, being. That was a weird bit of news that came out of that creator summit that a lot of influencers were invited to. Uh, asterisk, we were not, uh, but a friend of ours was, uh, and, and they confirmed it for us. And like, I, you know, you saw some people tweeting like during, during it going on. Apparently this is all hearsay because I wasn't there, obviously, but everything I've heard and people I've talked to who were there have been like, yeah, we tried to make it really uncomfortable for them and we succeeded. <laughs> like asking all kinds of hard questions that they were not prepared to answer, which is nice. Uh, but yeah, apparently, when the new, and I'm doing finger quotes here, edition comes out, it's not going to be one D&D. It's going to be, um, it's just going to be another iteration. It's just going to be added on to 5e, essentially, is what they're saying. But they're keeping one D&D as a branding name for the virtual tabletop stuff, which apparently was the plan all along. It sounds to me more of a marketing change than anything else, like a, a branding decision. Uh, it's very weird. Uh, I uh, In the uh, April newsletter, 
Uh, yeah, subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, I had some links to various things for that news item, uh, people trying to explain it. But it sounds, it either sounds like it was nothing important to begin with, or they're just trying to make it less noticeable that they're shifting to another edition. Again, finger quotes. But anyway, it's it, I've been calling it 5.5e for a while now. I will probably continue to do that. Um, yeah, they've, Jeremy, Jeremy Crawford uh, winces at your apostasy. <laughs> <laughs> and he can, and that's <laughs> fine. Uh, they've released five new character classes for the 1D&D application uh, through Unearthed Arcana, Barbarian, Fighter, Warlock, Wizard, uh, they've made a bunch of spell changes. They've made a bunch of feet changes. They've done some subclass updates, um, like sorcerer. They no longer call them bloodlines. They are now like draconic sorcery or fey sorcery. Um, wizard. They've simplified subclass names to be like evoker instead of school of evocation. I think those are generally positive. It looked like there were some nerfs in there. I, I this was one I kind of glanced at because I was like, well. It's all playtest materials, but if you are very invested in how these playtest materials work out, go and check out those materials and then uh, make sure to get your commentary in because it's only open until May 17th. So yeah. that's, and the, if you, that's the oh, go ahead. Unearthed Arcana page for all of that. Yeah, and if you uh, have anything you really hate or love about it, uh, you know, tweet us or email us and let us know and we'll... Yeah. We'll read all uh, appropriate <laughs> responses. <laughs> on the keep podcast. it keep it around PG thirteen, and we should yeah. be able to read it on the yeah. podcast. Uh, I'm going to since we're talking about Wizards of the Coast and <laughs> the many things that they like to do. I am going to real quick read a tweet from a recent news article. If anybody's been paying attention to the news for around Wizards, they probably know what I'm about to be talking about. Uh, at scene underscore four, that's the, that's the letters F-O-U-R, on Twitter posts, Today I'm thinking about the common refrain in the TTRPG space that, quote, no one's going to come to your house, bust down your door, and tell your table that you're playing wrong, end quote, and how now not every RPG publisher can claim that. And thank <laughs> you, Kyle, for posting that on the Discord, because that's hilarious. Uh Wizards of the Coast sent Pinkerton agents to a YouTuber's house because he was opening packs for the yet unreleased March of the Machine Aftermath and posting the videos on YouTube. And Wizards of the Coast was like, holy crap, some dude has stolen a ludicrous amount of our merchandise and we need to shut that down immediately. Just for context here, the uh, just for historical context, it's hilarious that the most common response to this news story that I've seen has been like, T-I-L, the Pinkertons still exist. <laughs> the Pinkertons, which was the detective agency founded in Chicago in 1850, 173 yep. years ago, and uh -huh. uh, alleged, like they claimed to have foiled an 1861 assassination plot against Lincoln, and then Lincoln hired them to do espionage uh, against the Confederates during the Civil War. Uh, yeah, still the same Pinkerton agency. <laughs> That is a business with staying power. <laughs> I, uh, I've i enjoyed all of the references to like, hey, you remember how in Red Dead Redemption 2, the Pinkertons are this like mm -hmm. villainous group of cops that are just trying to bring you all down? Well, well they're still doing stuff. Yeah. And just for just for uh, historical accuracy and record keeping here, the Pinkertons are, are absolute shits and dealt with did a lot of union busting and stuff after the Civil War. So, yeah, uh, yeah. They've, they've been involved in a lot of like corporate espionage, yeah. union busting. Yes. They're not they're strike not a breaking great organization. Yeah. Uh they arrived at the home of Dan Cannon, also known as Old School MTG on the YouTubes. And Dan had accidentally acquired 22 boxes of playing cards that are not supposed to be out until May the 12th. Now, I have a question. Uh -huh. How does one accidentally acquire 
22 boxes of pre-release magic cards. His, his story, which he is sticking to, is that he bought them from his friend. His friend had, uh, it's unclear how his friend got them, but their belief is that whoever shipped them in the first place mistakenly shipped those instead of uh, the March of the Machine. They mistakenly shipped March of the Machine Aftermath, and his friend thought that they were just collector's edition boxes. Now, uh-huh. I, now have, I have two problems with this. Problem yes. number one is that this guy is an MTG YouTuber. Yes, that was my next question. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought you told Magic, me that. Magic the Gathering, I mean, his, his YouTube channel name is literally Old School MTG. He is yeah. a Magic the Gathering YouTuber. That is what he does. And I don't see how he looks at those boxes and goes, oh, Aftermath. I don't know anything about that. I'm going to start opening these and posting them online. He had to know. Um, based on some quick math that I did, uh, boxes for Magic the Gathering sell for somewhere between $100 to $200 per box. Mm-hmm. So the Pinkertons arrive at his in his neighborhood. They apparently, at least according to him and his wife, uh, spent a little bit of time harassing his neighbors, saying that they needed to talk to him, and then were finally directed to his house, where before they were allowed entry to his home, they told his wife at the front door that they were looking at jail time, uh, that they were in real trouble, there could be a lot of fines affiliated with this, and that they'd better let the Pinkertons in and just let them take care of things now before it gets worse for them. And Wizards claims that they did not uh, ask for any such behavior out of the Pinkertons, but I could absolutely see Wizards being like, hey, we need a private detective agency to go and uh, retrieve these goods for us, and the Pinkertons being like, by any means necessary. Well, yeah, because the Pinkertons generally operate like debt collectors, you know? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. They're not known for their finesse, let's say. Right. Uh, I think so you don't call wi- them to negotiate a deal. <laughs> no. Wizards of the Coast apparently has been doing this kind of work with the Pinkertons for a while. And the Pinkertons have always been relatively successful for Wizards of the Coast. Gee, I wonder why. Um, so there's a lot of people that are criticizing Wizards of the Coast for hiring these people, knowing full well that their public image is somewhere between toilet and gutter right now. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, Pinkertons are not going to improve that for you. They're just not. It sounds like uh, this is a, a rare instance of fault on both sides. I think a little bit, yeah. Like, this guy should not have been opening these packs and posting them on YouTube. He knew um, better. And I've actually, I've got here, Polygon uh, made an article. While they were making the article, they reached out to Watsy for comment. Watsy replied, I'm going to go ahead and read that verbatim here. Okay. Uh, but know that I'm getting this from Polygon first. Mm-hmm. Uh, as part of an investigation into the unauthorized distribution and disclosure of embargoed product, we repeatedly attempted to contact an individual who had received unreleased cards. After that outreach was unsuccessful, an investigator visited him and asked that he reach out to us as part of our investigation and return the embargoed product and packaging. He agreed to do both. The unreleased product will be replaced by us with the product he intended to purchase. We appreciate the individual's cooperation and the investigation is ongoing. So if the overall story is true and this guy's friend actually bought them, what probably Mm -hmm. is the most likely scenario is the Pinkertons went to the friend's house and the friend was like, I have already sold these to this guy. And I don't I don't even think that's the case. I think the Pinkertons went straight to this guy's neighborhood because of the YouTube videos. Yeah. Well, just like it's just interesting the the um Watsy comment where they talk about this individual we are replacing this with what that individual intended to purchase, which means it would be the first guy and not the YouTuber. Well, no, in this case the YouTuber claims that his friend thought he was purchasing um the march of the machine and therefore that would have been what he was purchasing because he agreed to make the purchase before seeing the product so but 
Where did the friend get them from, though? That's, I'm sure, what Watsi would love to know, because whoever that distributor is, they are in some hot water. Because the way I understood that was the friend purchased March of the Machines and got March of the Machines Aftermath, and then somehow transmitted that product to the YouTuber friend, right? The, the thing that is unclear in all of the news that I read on this story is whether the friend acquired them directly from a distributor or if that friend themselves was purchasing from somewhere like a game store. Oh, okay. My understanding is that Wizards uh, wanted to, quote, plug that hole, which to me says, uh, keep that particular distributor from ever selling product again. <laughs> yes, that is 100% what will happen. And no I more Friday suspect, night magic for you. <laughs> I fully suspect that Dan Cannon's friend uh, would like to continue receiving Magic the Gathering products. I fully suspect that wherever Dan Cannon's friend got those products from in the first place would like to continue receiving Magic the Gathering products. Yeah. So I imagine Dan Cannon is going to be fairly tight-lipped unless uh, legal recourse says otherwise to him. I'll tell you. I... I I have, uh, I was first introduced to Magic 25 years ago, and this is the most interested I've been in Magic the Gathering <laughs> since then. Since the late 90s. My, my sincere hope is that Wizards recognizes they're getting a lot of bad press. They send this guy however much dollar value of product he was trying to purchase. So March of the Machine instead of Aftermath. Mm -hmm. And then they send him after Aftermath releases, they send him some promotional material stuff to be like, hey, sorry for all the trouble. Here's some stuff to kind of like hopefully make your experience a little bit better. Because that sort of thing, they're doing that already. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't do that in this case to try and earn some goodwill. Yeah. How big of a MTG channel is this guy? I have no idea. I'm going to look. <laughs> I'm, I'm not in MTG circles deeply enough to know how big YouTubers are. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking now. Uh, it's interesting, well, and not surprising that the very first autocomplete is uh, old school, like old school MTG Pinkerton. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't, I can't find it. Let me just. Dan Cannon. You can't find the channel? Cannon MTG YouTube. Um, let's see. This is thrilling content we're making right here. Trying to find a YouTube channel. <laughs> I just want to see how many subscribers the guy has. I imagine that number has shot up significantly since the news articles based on the Pinkertons raiding his house. Yeah. yeah, that's true. We have to treat all numbers with suspicion at this point. Five and a half thousand subscribers. Um, looks like most things are a couple thousand views. I'm seeing some shorts with uh, anywhere from 500 to <laughs> 4,000 views. So this is not a big channel. Surprisingly. Surprisingly, the uh, videos he's got that deal with this stuff have significantly more views than yeah, the other yeah. ones. How unusual. Yeah. I think, I think the strongest indicator of what his regular view count is like is if we look back a month ago and some mm -hmm. of the stuff that's been out for a little bit. I'm seeing 489, 418, 351, yeah. 873. Uh, hovering around an average of 500 video yeah 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 and that's you know that's respectable yeah um, you, know, you can't complain this, about that this person i'm sure is going to be a lot bigger over the next few months just because of the news coverage we'll see like he really needs to capitalize on this if he wants to grow beyond that five and a half thousand subscribers like i would have fully expected it to be 10 or 20 at this point like i'm certainly no one to criticize but um if 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 me being as cynical as I am, I would have capitalized on this immediately. <laughs> Having not watched any of his content, I cannot say what level of creator he might be. Right. Well, 
I hope he's okay. And I, I hope he's still yes, allowed to get magic cards. <laughs> I think he is. I think uh, everything that I saw indicated that wizards did not believe he was at fault. Mm-hmm. But they were trying to get to the bottom of who was exactly. Interesting. Interesting. And I suspect that at the point that that particular investigation is concluded, someone is losing their ability to sell Magic the Gathering products. Yeah, so somebody if will not, pay. If not Wizards of the Coast overall. Yeah. <laughs> he goes into a bookstore in like rural Iowa and tries to buy a D&D book and then just uh, a, an, an alarm klaxon goes off the moment he scans his <laughs> credit card. Um, we're running out of time, uh, so I want to hit these next couple items uh, so, yeah. we don't, so we don't forget them. Um, this one is uh, sort of a deep cut. Modifius, uh, the British TTRPG company that makes, um, I think most, I think they're most well known for making the Star Trek Adventures system that's been out for five or six years, which is a 2D20 system that I don't really care for because I've tried to run, I'm a huge Star Trek fan and I've tried to run games in that system and I just don't enjoy it. But some Didn't people we do live stream that for a little bit. We yeah, for like the uh, the starter set adventure, yeah. essentially. Yeah, I just I, you know, maybe I didn't put enough effort into learning it, but I just feel like there are other easier ways to to do that. Um, but anyway, anyway, they also do the Dune uh, like Rise of the Imperium uh, RPG. So I just I, I think this is just kind of interesting. They're releasing their own. Um, original game world and I'm presuming system. Uh, it's called Dreams and Machines. It was created by their COO, Chris Birch. Um, and uh, and they also do like Octung Cthulhu and uh, some other, like the Alien RPG and things like that. But uh, the, the synopsis for it is, set on the planet of Evera Prime, which is cut off from Earth, Dreams and Machines sees players attempting to rebuild the human colonies after they were devastated by deadly mechs called wa- Wakers. Since the Wakers have fallen dormant, humans have started to reconstruct their communities away from Earth. Using scraps from the advanced technology left by the Wakers, humans have developed their own cultures and factions, such as the Archivist, Dreamers, and Spears. Now, I have absolutely no problem with this. Uh, it looks like it's trying to go a little bit sort of solar punk there toward the end of that description. But it's interesting to me, and some of you might already know where I'm going with this, that their own original setting from the company that has the license to produce the Dune RPG is basically set in the aftermath of the Butlerian Jihad, <laughs> like of humans versus like mechs and thinking machines and things like that, that they have to prevail over. Huh? I didn't consider that until you said that just now, but yeah. Yeah. That's in, in the show notes for this, that Josh and I are looking at, I've put quotes around the word original. Um, but you know, like, <laughs> There's no such thing as a new idea, right? But this seems like awfully close uh, to to sort of the the expanded Frank Herbert Dune universe uh, for the for the company that has the Dune RPG license to be releasing. It's like if it's like they they released their own original like uh, system where you're part of a galactic confederation. And you know, yeah. <laughs> and you know, there are some there are some very logical aliens there. Um, you know, humans are there, <laughs> uh, ones with forehead ridges. But it's totally original. <laughs> I may be reading too much into this, but like, I, if I were writing the synopsis copy for this, which was you know put out in news releases and stuff like that, I would have tried to make it a a little different from this very well in in universe well known uh pivotal historical event in in dune that sort of set the stage for everything with you know the ban on thinking machines and mentats and things and basically gave us the dune universe as it as it is when we see it in dune yeah yeah i think that's fair i think that's absolutely fair mhm cuz i think i think in dune they they also uh, as part of the Butlerian Jihad and the, like the war against the the uh, thinking machines and stuff, they had their own, like they had, uh, like sort of like a cyborg type thing. It wasn't just uh, it it wasn't just like machines, like you know, um, uh, you know, launching nukes and stuff like that. They had things called Cymex, which were which I'm looking at, uh, you know, devastated by the deadly mechs called Wakers. Like, I, I mean. 
maybe there's a whole lot of nuance and detail to this that clears this up and I'll just sound, seem stupid once the whole thing comes out, but it just sounds very much like they ripped off a lot of the like the Dune prequel stuff for this. I thought it was interesting that they were specifically targeting this TTRPG system to be spun off into a television series and video games. Mm -hmm. Well, they saw how well the part one of the latest Dune movie went and they're like, oh yeah, we should, we should definitely jump on that train. We got to chop some of this flavor. (laughs) But anyways, I could be way off base from that. But just when I was, when I was going through uh, looking for some items to talk about, I saw that I was like, wait a minute. I didn't even have to think very long. It just it just appeared to me. It makes me wonder, you know how sometimes you spend too long in a certain kind of media and then you come out and you're like, I've had an idea. And they're like, you just reinvented the wheel. And it's like, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> I wonder if that's what's happening here. I don't know. My hope is that that's kind of the uh, fever dream that it's all built off of. And then once you get into the actual meat of it, it's very different. Yeah. And I will, I will acknowledge that they have uh, something different here in the last sentence about sort of rebuilding with the cultures and factions and stuff like that. But there again, like in Dune, you've got the face dancers and the Benny Tlalax <laughs> and the Benny Gesserit and the navigators and Chome and all that stuff. So I don't know. I'm for now. We'll I'm see. just now I'm just needling them. <laughs> we'll see. We'll yeah. see. It's worth looking into. Yeah. The uh, the name of that system again was Dreams and Machines. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, this doesn't result in a lawsuit for them. Um, they they should be very afraid of that. But you know, fear is the mind killer. So <laughs> I work too hard for that. Oh um, my God. I was like, I was like, where are you going with? Oh, I see where yeah, you're going with this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did not have a lot of prep time for this. So that, that's, oh that's why it's, I'm coming off a little half ass. Um, but the last thing we've got on here is just this bizarrely cool, essentially DLC for fifth, fifth edition. Um, it's a, uh, I, the, the notes that I have, it says Kickstarter for fishing, quote, DLC for 5e. And then I have, again, what is this? Skyrim? <laughs> Which implemented its own fishing DLC. Um, but it's called Why Slay Dragons, uh, colon, when you could be fishing. And uh, it was uh, funded in five minutes on Kickstarter. They had a goal of like $10,000 and they're currently rocking something like 110000 uh, And they've got what, like, like... 15, 30 days to go or 13, 15 days to go or something like that. Yeah. There'll, there'll still be over a week left on it when this episode releases, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've got almost 1200 backers at this point. Um, it, they've got a 35 page sample available on the Kickstarter page and we'll put a link in there for it, but you know, just Google why slay dragons when you could be fishing. Um, and it is amazing how detailed this is. I walked into this, uh, thinking, this is silly. Adding all these mechanics and quests and stuff for fishing. Cause like basically it exists to create a fishing mini game in your 5e if you want something people can do in their downtime. You can create quests around it and stuff. There are fishing at related NPCs and quest givers and everything. There are tables for junk that you roll on. Like maybe you pull a boot. I think there's an illustration of like a mimic boot in, in the sample pages that you pull out of there, all kinds of different fish and everything. I am a hundred percent going to buy this. <laughs> and I hate fishing mini games, but I really, I really appreciate that they're like, nope, we're gonna specialize. We're really gonna dig deep. We're gonna do this exactly the way we want to do it. Uh it's fantastic. Uh, if if the other like hundred and some pages are anything like the quality that's in the sample. Um, aside from some typos and stuff, which we will forgive because it's a sample page. Um, this is going to be fantastic. It's, it's going to be great. Yeah. I just flipping through it. I was like, how the hell is there 35 pages of sample material that's already this good? And, uh, what I had not realized as I was starting to read was they've already planned their release for April of 2024. Mm-hmm. So they're they're gonna have something like eleven months of turnaround time. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so provide, and, and it looks like they already have a lot of stuff done too. So I don't think, and this stops short of an endorsement, I don't think it's going to be one of those Kickstarters where it just keeps pushing the delivery date out and out because we're already looking at 12 months. Like I, I, I just get the feeling that they've already got a lot of this done. And if anything, you might see it sooner than uh, the, April. The suspicion I have based on looking at their news updates, all of that sort of stuff is that they've got something like half of the book itself already done. Right. And a lot of that year of time is giving them an opportunity to fulfill their stretch goal stuff. Like there's some subclasses in there. There's like a fighter subclass and a cleric subclass. Um, they've got some additional content that they're adding. There's, there's a lot of stuff in there already just from where they've hit yeah. on stretch goals. Oh, snap. The $100,000 um, stretch goal was deep ocean environment unlocked. Um, our first environment, the deep ocean, will involve you in fishing on the surface of some pretty terrifying deep sea environments, catching fish from primordial pools that have been long forgotten from the passage of time. Uh, 10 new fish, 50 new junk items, new fishing milestones, new anglers, which are the NPCs, uh, quest hooks, shops, magic items. Uh, this is so bizarrely specialized, and I love it's, it. It's They've unlocked a DLC for their DLC. Yeah, you've... They've found something they enjoy and they're just going balls to the wall. I am <laughs> <laughs> intrigued. The title of it suggests that they have other downtime supplementals that they either have conceived or have produced. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm a little curious to, after this, go look at what else they've done. Because Why Slay Dragons colon is a beautiful name for downtime activity supplementals for 5e yeah we we really need to get these people on here and talk to them uh i'm this is just fantastic <laughs> it's so good it makes me so happy yeah oh, the hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar stretch is a hell environment and then hundred and fifty thousand is a space environment which tells oh me and which tells me they're incorporating some star jam like some spell jammer fishing in that um yeah this That's is great fantastic this is That's great so good yeah everybody check this out like it's gonna get funded anyway but you know if you're mildly interested in it and you have the money you should go ahead and put a pledge down at least for the digital um just because who knows if it's going to be available you know in a store not everybody's well, not everybody is nord games not everybody's nord games and also uh some of those stretch goals sound really cool mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um all right we're, yes. we're over an hour so let's let's put a bow on this thing. Yeah. Um, real quick, reminding everybody one more time that we're having a big sale at the at the big cartel store. Big sale at the big store. Um, <laughs> Ten percent off most stuff. Free shipping with code GravyBoat. Um, shirt designs, some of which we're going to retire, and some cool uh, indie RPG games uh, that you can't really get anywhere else, at least in print form. Um, so check those out. Um, and you know, shoot us an email if you have questions, contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com, but everything should be pretty self-explanatory on there. Um, you know, and you know, look at our shipping policy. We're a small operation. Uh, we try to ship the day that we get the order, but sometimes that doesn't happen and it's the next day. So, uh, we do our best. So, um, that's that, um, te telephone, tell a friend, telegraph or whatever about the podcast. I did that wrong, <laughs> but I'm just ch charging forward on it. Because <laughs> I didn't finish my show notes is what I didn't do. Um, oh no! Uh, telling telling friends about the podcast is the best uh, and fastest and uh, most uh, foundational way to help it grow. So uh, tell somebody until they tell you to stop talking about it, and then respect their wishes. <laughs> um, uh, check out all of our other stuff at Linktree slash Goblins and Growlers. That's linktr.ee forward slash goblins and growlers that's got all of our social medias the newsletter it's got uh our both of our podcasts both the one you're listening to now and our sister podcast quid pro roll where brandon plays an over-the-hill professional wrestler and i play a sketchy edgelord rogue who i desperately tried not to make an edgelord but when you base a character off of someone that you made when you were 12 years old, sometimes there's just no avoiding these things. Everybody's got to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Have a dark past. 
that that link tree also has a link to our Discord. Uh, but if you don't like opening link trees, you want to go straight there. It's bit.ly slash goblin discord, where we have a lot of conversations about a wide range of things, including uh, the tweet that I quoted earlier, which was shared by our very own Dr. Math Glocken Kyle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dr. Math Glocken. Dr. Math Glocken. Um, I think, is that is that all of our promo stuff? Did we do all the promos? I think we did. Uh, I'm just going to throw up goblinsgrowlers.bigcartel.com for video watchers on this. Uh, remember, big sale at the Big Cartel Big Store. Uh, 10% free shipping. Um, we will be back in two weeks. Uh, we'll probably be focused on one topic at that point. Uh, we're trying to line up some interviews of some creators and stuff. It's just, you know, with like, especially with Josh's wedding and stuff, it's been kind of nutty for the last couple of months trying to get anything planned and done with everything going on. Uh, and also grad school and stuff like that. But, yep. uh, we're trying to get some, yeah, trying to get some other stuff lined up. Uh, so thank you all for bearing with us and listening and we will talk to you all again in a couple of weeks. Bye y'all. like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Especially early in the feed, subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way. Thank you.